Thanks for downloading this week's podcast from Crossroads. We are glad you took the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can find out more information at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends. Let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads.org. And now, here's this week's podcast. Think about the future generation and how that they have uh, not grown up and do not, a lot of them, have that good, deep roots of uh, God's Word and being there, uh, you know, being able to lean on the Lord. And I think that it's so important for us to, as older people, as the older folks in the church, to look beyond what we have been used to and to be able to understand that it's so important that we we grab hold of this future generation that's going to be here because we're not going to be here and they're going to be the leaders. So, so we've got to lean on him and trust him that he's going to give, provide for us so that we can share the good news to our community. Our God has been faithful to us because maybe we have, we're just his instruments and I'm so thankful that we can be um, his uh, feet and his, uh, his hands and, and, and that we would be able to share the good news as we go. The time is drawing near when our time is going to be gone. And we've got to provide for our future generations because now we see that uh, it's not good enough it's not enough of room for those to come to in our uh, church. And we're giving out a space. So we've got to do something to provide for the numbers of people that are, are moving into Five Forks. Amen. Good morning. Thank you, Rennell. Uh We will be just a reminder next Sunday night in this space here. Uh, we will be meeting for a prayer and share time and uh, talking more about what God is calling our church to do. And if you have questions, please come. Uh, don't know that we'll be able to answer them all, but we'll ask them together and discover the answers together as we pray about uh, making room for those that God is sending our way. Let me say quickly, by the way, if you want to be turning to James chapter 2, James chapter 2, as we continue our study about faith and action, you can turn there, James chapter 2. Let me say a thank you to uh, Corey for uh, last week for preaching and uh, did a fantastic job. If you missed it, then uh, I'll encourage you to get the podcast or go online and watch the video. Uh, he did fantastic. And I want to say thank you to our church family uh, once again because uh, you are allowing him uh, the privilege to be a part of our team here and to be a ministry intern and to pour into him. And uh, man, I wish I had that kind of experience with this kind of church. So, so thank you. Thank you. Kudos to our, to our church family. So thank you for that. Uh, uh, praise team, thank you for the music this morning. Tyler. Robbie, wow, thank you, brother. Your dad had a host of heaven, I believe, standing up this morning. Just 
giving you a big round of applause as you led us. And uh, what a great song and so true in our world. If we ever needed an anchor, it's today. And uh, you know what? We come to church uh, for many reasons. You come to church for many reasons. Hopefully the right reasons. Uh, Sometimes we come to church to be encouraged. Sometimes we come to find hope. Uh, Sometimes uh, we come to be rebuked. That's not the pastor's favorite job, by the way. I know some of you think maybe it is, but it's not. But we get to uh, this chapter of James today, and really that's what James is doing. And we're going to kind of dissect it a little bit and uh, look at it, James chapter 2, in a minute. I came across a survey, though, I want to share with you. This was online. If you get the print version, you can probably see the print version from Newsweek. And here's what it said. Uh, A survey contains some interesting statistics. 57% of hiring managers believe an unattractive but qualified job candidate would have a harder time getting hired. 84% said their bosses would hesitate before hiring a qualified older candidate. 64% of hiring managers said they believe companies should be allowed to hire people based on appearance. All clear examples of unacceptable prejudice. Now, when I was growing up, I used to mess around with my parents and, you know, we'd say, I love you. And they'd say, I love you more. I love you. I love you more. And we'd get into this kind of competition about uh, being a favorite. But The reality is, guys, we have all, everybody in here, at some point in your life, you've been the object of partiality. You've been the object of uh, maybe being favored or maybe not being favored. Maybe it was because of a special relationship you had with a, a superior that you got a promotion over somebody else. Or maybe you have been the favored one. I had the privilege to uh, speak for a day and a half in the mountains of Georgia this week. Uh, for a youth camp, and uh, the theme of their week was Joseph, and we talked about how Joseph was picked out as the favorite son. There are a lot of issues that came along with that, if you know the story of Joseph. And you would think that in our world, with all the favoritism that's out there, you would think, and maybe you would hope, that the church would be that one place where everybody was treated the same. We like to say in the Baptist circles that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We like to say that, but is it really? You know, I, I think one of the great things that I love about our church here at Crossroads is I think for the most part, we try to treat everybody that way. But we're going to discover as we look at this passage of Scripture that maybe uh, we all have some room for improvement, maybe even the pastor does. And what James is calling for in this passage of scripture is for us as Christians, our behavior to actually match our beliefs. So let's read it together. James chapter two. By the way, you may be new to church and you may not think that there are uh, pyramid climbers in the church. Generally speaking, there are pyramid climbers in politics, the workplace, and even in some Churches and James addresses that. Here's what he says, James chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. All right, let's stop. You guys know we stop along the way, right? Verse 1, my brethren, my brethren, 
my sistren, okay, my people. He's saying this is a term of endearment. And he's saying this because he wants everybody to know, the church that he's writing to, to know up front, uh, I love you. And you know what I think about Corey and Heath gets to stand up here and preach God's word, and I do. We don't take this lightly. Anything that we say, we want you to know, as James is wanting his congregation to know, is out of a spirit of love. This, this term, my brethren, by the way, appears about 22 times, I think, in all of the Bible, and eight times are times that James uses it. So it's a common phrase that James used. Sometimes he'll actually say, my beloved brethren, which is used about three times by James, only five times in all the Scripture. So James is trying to get their attention from the get-go to say, what I'm getting ready to say to you is going to be hard, but keep in mind I'm saying it because I love you. And so I would say that to you as well this morning, Crossroads, that James has love for his people as much as I have love for you. Then he says this, don't hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just think about that phrase in a minute. Everything he's getting ready to say after this, He's reminding them of their glorious faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting that the more you and I know about how, who Jesus is, the better we'll treat our neighbor. Because we'll understand how much God loves us and our relationship with him. And if our relationship with him is right, our relationship with our neighbors will be right. So don't hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Some translations, I think King James says, respecter of persons. It's a Greek word that he's using there. I won't bore you with the Greek, but basically the word that he's using there is judging the book by its cover. How many times have we done that? Have I done that? It's a partiality. It's kind of the real, the real term there. We don't have all uh, the uh, weight of this word in English doesn't come through with what James is saying here by partiality. As a matter of fact, in English, we have to have three words to come up with the weight of what he's trying to convey. So even Bible translators have not done a good job of conveying the weight of what James is saying here about not being partial. Here's our three English words that we use sometimes. First one is this, bias. Bias is a bent, a tendency, an inclination, unreasoned judgment, prejudice. Here's a second word, discrimination. The act, practice, or instance of discriminating categorically rather than individually. So it's like against a group, discrimination. That's the English word we've come up with to try to be a part of what James is saying here. And the third word is prejudice comes from the words prejudged, a preconceived idea or judgment or opinion about a person. Usually that's more based toward an individual than a group. So all these words that we have come up with in our English language to try to convey the weight of what James is saying here when he says, don't show favoritism. Don't be biased. Don't be prejudiced. Don't show discrimination. He's saying that. You may say, okay, who, who is he talking to here? Well, Great question. Because he is saying here in verse 2, he kind of tells us, he's giving an, an example to the people. He says this, If a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring, and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, 
And you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and say, hey, you sit here in this good place, and you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Now let's just hit the pause button. He's kind of given the if, and now he's going to say then in a minute. We're going to look at the then part. But he kind of sets up the if by saying, if a man comes into your assembly. Assembly is an interesting word. We kind of maybe skim right over that. Again, not understanding the weight of what he's saying here. Literally, the translation is synagogue. It's synagogue. The name of the meeting place for Jews. So it's interesting that the fact that James calls a Christian meeting place... A synagogue. It shows that he was writing this when Gentiles were not yet widely accepted into the church. You may think, and I do too sometimes because media convinces us. You might think watching all the things that happen in our world with media and division and politics. That we live in a new time. That God's word never would address something of contemporary you know, what's happening in our contemporary world. No, this was going on back when James was leading a congregation. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. It may be, appear more heightened because we have access to it on our 24-7 news channel. But this was going on. Favoritism, prejudice, discrimination, people groups feeling shafted. That was happening long, long ago. And so the fact that James, uh, by the way, most of the Christians he's writing to at this point, having a Jewish heritage, says to them, when you come into your assembly, he's trying to do something to help people understand that Jews and Gentiles are the same. They both have access to Jesus. Let's keep reading. Let's see what the then part is. He says, if you come to assembly and these things happen, verse 4, have you not made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, here it is, that phrase I told you. My beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. But you've dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you've been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin. And you're convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point is guilty of all. For he who said don't commit adultery also said don't commit murder. So if you don't commit adultery but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So what is James saying to us about favoritism? Favoritism is a big deal in our culture. It's a big deal in the church, big C, in churches across the land. It's a big deal. You may know this. I didn't know this actually or this week. But if you read the autobiography of Mahatma Gandhi, you will know that as a student, he seriously considered the claims of Jesus. He got a Bible, he seriously thought about giving his life to Jesus. He went and he visited a Christian church. He showed up at the church and apparently because he was dressed in some way that would make him look like a Hindu at this particular church, he went to talk to the minister to uh, talk to him about becoming a Christian. And when he entered the sanctuary, the usher refused to give him a seat, suggesting that he go worship with his own people. 
And Gandhi left the church, never returned. And here's what he wrote down in his autobiography. If Christians have caste differences also, then I might as well remain a Hindu. That usher's prejudice not only betrayed Jesus, but it also turned a person away from trusting Christ as his Savior. This morning, when some of you drove into the parking lot, you might have seen an interesting person. Sir, would you come on up here this morning? He's kind of roaming the parking lot this morning when you drove in. Anybody see this? See this guy? Anybody see him walking around in the parking lot? A few of you? A few of you, were you scared? Were you wishing you to fill out that application for the CWP? <laughs> this is my friend Jonathan, who uh, kind of staged to be dressed up today. And you, you want to tell him real quick what happened with you this morning? Uh, so I was uh, welcomed in and given food and water and coffee, greeted by a bunch of people, and um, just felt very welcomed. So I've been here, I know a lot of, uh, a lot of the faces, I know some of the faces know me, but, um, but it was those faces that I didn't know that just kind of opened me with, uh, welcome on, with uh, open arms. Amen. Thank you, man. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, church family. Praise the Lord. You done good. That was just Jack's test. True test is when we pass God's test because we have them every day. We have the opportunity to show favoritism or not show favoritism. Why is favoritism a big deal? Let me give you three thoughts I have about it real quick as we look at these, pat, these uh, verses of Scripture. Here's the first one. James is pretty clear. Favoritism is a sin. Favoritism is a sin. He says it this way in verse 9. If you show partiality or favoritism, you are committing sin. You know, I love it when the Bible just makes things black and white. Because there's some things that are gray that we have to kind of figure out. I love it when the Bible just says, don't do that, that's a sin. That makes it easy for me because I'm kind of slow sometimes. So favoritism, we know from God's word, is a sin. He, James clearly says it, it's forbidden. And not only, again, if you go back to verse 1, is it a sin, but he adds a qualifying statement in the first verse that we should hold on to the faith in our glorious Jesus Christ. Why does he say that? Well, I think he's reminding us of the character of God. The reason favoritism is a sin is because it's totally inconsistent with God's character. Aren't you glad? Impartiality is an attribute of God. God does not show favoritism. He's absolutely and totally impartial with people. Jesus treated Nicodemus the same way he treated the woman at the well. Impartial, no favoritism. Romans, Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 2, there's no favoritism with God. He said it again in Ephesians 6, there's no favoritism with God. So you and I and our culture, and this is really difficult, what I'm, what I'm sharing with you today, if you're just going, yeah, 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 we know that I got it down, then you're not understanding what I'm saying. Because this is very difficult in the culture in which we live to not show favoritism. Because we're almost programmed to show favoritism. And what happens in the world is that programming seeps into church life, and so we start showing favoritism in church life. You may say, how do I do that? I'm going to give you some questions at the end of the message that I came across this week that challenged me. 
and raised up some issues in my heart to say, you know what, you might want to double check here when you think you're not showing favoritism, you might be. Jesus gives us free will. He gives us the gift of being able to have an opinion. There's nothing wrong with having an opinion. We all have opinions. But we have to do very well to not let our opinions slide into being uh, showing partiality or favoritism. You know, James wrote to a very partial age, filled with prejudice and hatred, uh, based on their class, their ethnicity, their nationality, their religious background. And so in the ancient world, where people were routinely, routinely and permanently categorized because they were a Jew or a Gentile, then we should take lessons from what James is saying to his people. Here's the second thing James is saying about partiality. Not only is favoritism a sin, but favoritism comes from selfishness. He says this in verse 4. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves? In other words, you you yourself are making these distinctions, these divisions. You're you're being selfish. You've uh, become judges with evil motives. A reminder to where favoritism comes from. What is the source of favoritism? What is the source of evil? Sin. I never will forget the person who discipled me reminded me that the center letter in the word sin is I. Center letter in the word pride is I. It's always when I get in the way. The root of evil is selfishness. Maybe it's favoritism that we show toward people that have money. Paul tells us about that. He warns Timothy about that in 1 Timothy when he says says to Timothy, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, by the way. Money is not evil. Love of money is evil. It's all kinds of evil. And he told Timothy, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So sometimes we can discriminate based on Our own love of money. Sometimes we can discriminate based on the way people look. Like my friend Jonathan, the way he was dressed hanging in the parking lot. We can discriminate maybe because someone is poor, selfish again. We don't want to be pulled down to their socioeconomic level. Crossroads, here's the reality. Churches are not immune to this kind of behavior. It may uh, may not be so much that we've fallen over the rich, but maybe... We perceive young adults with children as our prize because that's in our culture who we need to grow our church. And that is true. And that's who we need for our next generation. So we start to show favoritism and we kind of just tolerate the rest of us who are maybe single or maybe elderly. And so we look at some churches look at, well, hey, we're trying to grow a church. So we're going to target that particular age group and they get out of balance. And we begin to sin because we get our attention on the wrong focus. Let me just say, Crossroads is a church for everybody. Hello. Hold on a minute. Let me press play, rewind, play that again. We're a church for everybody, every age group. That's one of the great things about our church. It's one of our values, as a matter of fact, that we are multi-generational. That we have young people, that we have older people. We can learn from each other. Do we need younger families here for the next generation, for Crossroads to be here? Absolutely. Are we going to so target those people that we totally ignore everybody else? No. And there are some churches that do that. That's favoritism. James is pretty clear. It shows when we, when we 
prioritize favoritism, it shows that we don't really understand what God said in 1 Samuel 16 when he said that as man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. It's so easy for us to look at the outward appearance. But we can't do that because it reveals our selfishness. Number three, favoritism divides. He says that in verse 4 when he's talking about making distinctions or divisions. Favoritism will divide by making distinctions and divisions by nature. That's what will happen when you show favoritism. There are so many groups in our society looking for acceptance and looking for uh, just justification, looking for identity, looking for validation. We've created all of these subgroups in society. And what we have done in thinking that we have raised up this group to have value, we have so segmented everybody that there's all these special groups. And we forget that we're only a part of one race, the human race that God made. Favoritism divides. One of the choruses that we sung this morning was, How will they know we're Christians? They'll know us by our love. The greatest thing that Jesus called us to do when he left this planet, and one of his prayers was to make us one. And we have, we have done everything in our power to make us many and divide all these subgroups. You say, why does that happen? Well, you and I know why it's happened. It's hard. Because we have differences, differences of opinion. And sometimes we can think that our opinion, and we talked about this in recent weeks when we went through the book of Mark together, we can think that our opinion is equated with what God's Word says. And when we do that, we are showing that we want our opinion heard louder than somebody else's opinion. And at that point, we are, accept, we are wanting to be favored, and we slid in without even realizing it into the issue of favoritism, and it divides If you wonder what your behavior is doing, if it's dividing, there may be a hint of favoritism going on there. Favoritism divides. The other thing that favoritism does, the last thing, love is the liberator. James says it this way. I love this in verse 8. Talks about kind of putting someone on display. When they come into the assembly, if they're dressed right or they've got the gold on right or maybe they don't, and us showing favoritism and all those things happen and division happen. But then he says, you want to deal with that? Here's how you deal with it. If, however, verse 8, you're fulfilling the royal law. I like how he says that, the royal law. He says it again earlier in this chapter, or at the end of chapter 1. According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin. If you really keep the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, it's interesting that the center of Jesus' ministry was love. We know that. Love for the poor. Love for those that were rejected by society. Love for everybody. He didn't come for himself. He came for us to demonstrate love. Mark says it this way, if you remember, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve to make his life a ransom for many. And then the verse that most of us can quote by heart, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It was because of that love. Love is the liberator. Love is the unifier. Impartiality and prejudice and favoritism 
the reason that they don't, they're not compatible with love is because all those things, those other three, favoritism, prejudice, and partiality, are self-serving and self-centered, and love is others first. Our king, Jesus, was a great demonstrator of how to live without favoritism. And I love what he says in verse 12, what James says in verse 12, my translation says, the law of liberty, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Some translations say the law that gives freedom, the law of liberty. James uses a similar expression at the end of chapter 1 when he talks about the law of liberty and that when you look in the mirror, as you look in the mirror, you should be reminded of that law of liberty. And not walk away and forget what you've seen, but look intently at the law of liberty. What does he mean? Because the law of liberty sounds like an oxymoron. Like jumbo shrimp. I mean, that doesn't go together. Law of liberty. Most of us think that laws are, are you know, ref, they, they restrain us. They, they keep us kind of bound. And what James is reminding us is the law of liberty, the law of love, is actually does the opposite. It sets us free because we're able to love the way God intends us to love. Somebody put it this way, anger and hatred are not freedom. They tie us in knots. They goad us to say and do things we don't really believe in. But love is liberating because it trusts God to be the final judge and encourages us to do good wherever we can. So are you showing partiality? Are you showing favoritism? Let me ask you some questions that I came across this week. If you knew in 10 minutes, you're at home watching TV, but you knew in 10 minutes somebody was going to knock on the door, somebody that you highly respected, would you comb your hair, brush your teeth, Think about what you would say. What if you knew that in 10 minutes, our homeless person was going to knock on your front door? Would you rush to get all neat? Or what, would, what would be your response? Would you respond differently? Would you expend the same amount of energy? This is really what James is getting at because we're all vulnerable. We're all guilty of treating people differently depending on how we view them outwardly. I, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I, I had to really think through this this week. Because my prayer is, has been the last several months, and by the way, I hope this is your prayer too, as, as God moves us into the next chapter of whatever it is for Crossroads, I don't want anything in my life to be a hindrance. So I've been asking God, point out some things. And then reading this passage of Scripture this week, it was like, oh. But Lord, don't point that out. You ever do that? Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. The irony is that we often try to impress people the most that actually care about us the least. While the people who really would be open to receiving from us are the ones that we think we don't have time for. That's favoritism, by the way. So here's some questions for us this morning. Is there someone with whom you are withholding fellowship because of your prejudice? Is there someone, maybe they did something not smart 
in their past, and you're still kind of holding that over them. That's favoritism. In our church, people may not be ushered to good or bad seats. We just saw a great demonstration of how well we responded. The ones that saw Jonathan in the parking lot and welcomed him in and got him coffee and water and food. Which, by the way, I'd already taken him to IHOP, so you didn't need to do that. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But we responded there good. But how about this? How, uh, what, in what other ways why, might we as a church be favoring the rich or discriminating against the poor? Here's a question that kind of raked me across the coals this week. You guys know by now, I'll just shoot straight and be honest with you. How closely does Crossroads reflect the socioeconomic and racial neighborhood in which we gather? Because not everybody is the same white Anglo-Saxon Protestant socioeconomic level person within five mile radius of this church that God's called us to, to reach. That's why this church is right here. That one, that one hurt this week. Stepped on my toes this week. Would a poor person feel welcome in our church? Would a rich person feel welcome in our church? In what ways do we consciously or unconsciously favor some people over others? Some hard questions this morning. Will you be honest with the Lord? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word that does encourage, it does provide hope. It does provide correction and instruction. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Sometimes when it lights up our path and lights up our lives, we see some dark spots, at least I do. Where I need the light of Christ to invade and change my mind, change my heart. So Lord, I pray as we Think about some of these questions this morning. Right now, Lord, as we think about them individually, I, I pray that we would just ask some of those questions again and allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us. Are we showing favoritism? Church family, would you be just so bold while you're sitting there praying this morning to ask the Lord some of those questions? There's someone I'm judging because of their past. Is there anything that I'm consciously, Lord, or unconsciously doing that's showing favor to one person over another? Lord, how can I treat people like you would treat them? Lord, thank you for your word. I pray this morning as we respond that you would help us to do what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In just a second, we're going to stand. Joey's going to lead us in a song of invitation. I, I don't know how God spoke to you. Interesting passage this morning. But I pray that you'd respond. Maybe this morning you have come and you need to know Jesus. I just want to remind you, there's no favoritism with Him. He loves you, period. You don't have to get yourself cleaned up to meet a certain standard for God to accept you. By the way, you'll never be able to meet that standard because He's a standard and it's perfection. But because of him and his love for you, you can come accept that free gift. Maybe that's you today and you need to come to a place where there is no favoritism. He's no respecter of persons. He'll love you. I'll be here at the front. I'm going to ask my friend Heath to come join me this morning. And uh, you just stand and do business with the Lord this morning as he leads you. Let's sing together.
We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message from Crossroads. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. The last year has been one of chaos and confusion, and we know many have become isolated and lonely. You can get Pastor Jack's new book, The Loneliness Solution, Finding Meaningful Connection in a Disconnected World, a great resource that will help you, or you can give to a friend who might be struggling. This resource is also available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again next